if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, get, get that ready. If you may be using a um, smart device or something, it's on there. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures together today. We're finishing our series we started at the beginning of August called The Table. We've been talking about uh, the table in terms of invitation, how, how Jesus invites us to be in a relationship with him. So we, we basically started with one chair at the table and said, Jesus gives a personal invitation to everyone in the world. To, to come to him and have a personal relationship with him. That, that is the most important invitation you and I will ever receive in life. And then we talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus actually invites... So if Jesus invites every person in the world to come into a relationship with him, how does he invite every person in the world? Well, there's a lot of ways. One of them is through us. He invites every person in the world to come into a relationship with him, but, but most of the time... That invitation will come through another believer. In other words, Jesus will partner with you and I. It's incarnation. It's part God and it's part us. And he will use us as a, as a ministry agent, as a person to share the good news. The Bible says, how will they hear if no, if no one shares? So sweet are the feet of those that bring good news. And so Jesus uses us to invite people to himself. So there, there's another chair at that table. Then last week, we talked about the connections that we have in relationship. We talked about the family table. So we're just using tables sort of as a metaphor of a space where relationships are built. And then today I want to talk about a community. So we now have a full circle. We have four chairs at the table. We have each uh, part of the kingdom of God represented at the table. And, and now what are those Christian relationships like that are at the table? Now before we do that, I want to highlight something you've you just heard about and maybe you've seen in the bulletin. In two weeks, we're going to have a community picnic. And so here's the whole purpose of that. The whole purpose of that is if Jesus is using us to invite people to himself, then, then how does that happen? What expression do we give that? We're going to have a great big, uh, what the picnic is is a big table, right? We're just going to use that great big meal time, and I want you to invite people that you know. Invite friends, invite family members, invite relatives, invite uh, co-workers, people that you know that need God, people that you know that need a church family, we're going to be ministering uh, a salvation message. And what's going to happen is, it, I'm telling you, it's going to be a day of encounter for someone. It's going to be a day of, um, of a miracle. Somebody, some people are going to come to faith, are going to move toward God. But, but that doesn't happen without us. So this whole idea that Jesus uses us and invites people to himself through us happens in, in such a huge variety of ways that we talked about. Most of you have come to faith because someone invited you to something, to a Bible study, to a church, to a service, to pray, to read the Bible, to look for yourself. Somebody God used instrumentally in your life, and that's, that's what I'm saying that we can do. So what I want you to do on that day, it's going to be a great day. One service, 1030. If you come at 9 o'clock and nobody's here, the rapture hasn't happened, or... or you know, I don't know, maybe it has. You can wait till 10.30 and find out for sure. If nobody comes by 10.30, probably it's happened. But 9 o'clock, if you come on that day two weeks from now, you know, we're going to be getting ready. 10.30, one great big service. Right after the service is going to be a picnic. All, all people that are new to Kingwood, all guests that day will eat free. So we want to we wanna open the invitation and say, look, Jesus loves you. We just want to, we want to get to know you. We want to have some fun together. It's a great day. The gospel's going to be preached. 
So uh, I really want you to help us with this day. It's going to be a really big deal. How do we know who Jesus is ministering to until we reach out? And then all of a sudden, people's lives start to change. So here's what I want you to do this morning. It's a great big way. I'm going to show you how easy this is. Great big way you do it. If you, if you have a, um, an iPhone, you know, iPad, iPad mini, i, I frog, i them, i us, whatever. i something, you got a, a cell phone with a camera on it. Whatever, whatever you use, your, your handheld device. If you got it with you, I want you to pull it out. Go ahead and pull it out. If you got it with you, go ahead and pull it out. This, this is not illegal. Promise. Jesus won't be mad at you. All right, now don't be surfing Facebook while we're in here. I just said pull it out. I didn't say use it. All right, now what I want you to do is I want you to pull up your camera, and, and what I want you to do is I want you to take a big selfie, all right? Everybody stand up. Stand up with me. Come on. Stand up with me. All right, now turn around. Everybody turn around face that way. Face that way. I want you to, I want you to get this in the background if you can. Everybody turn around. If that's what you need to do, or if you've got a reverse thing on your however that works. Mine reverses, so I'm already there. All right. Now I want you to take a big selfie, okay? If you need to scoot up closer, you can do that. Take you a big selfie. Put your big old mug in there. I know. Don't act like you don't do this all the time. I've seen you on the ice bucket challenge. I've seen you on there. Don't act like you had not been doing this. Come on. Some of you ladies taking about 12 shots. You'll get a good one. Keep going. I hear you. I know. I understand. Take you a big selfie. Everybody, everybody got it? Yes? Everybody got you a good selfie there? Take three or four if you need to. One of them will turn out. All right, now here's what I'm saying. If, if uh, Everybody knows about the ice bucket challenge. If, if the ice bucket challenge can be used to, to raise money to help find a cure for disease and offset suffering, here's what I'm just saying. Then I think we can use the same medium to invite people to Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that, go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is you use, and what I want you to do is give a great big invitation to all your friends. You can do it right now while we're talking, and you can, but you've got to log off when you're done. You can do it right now. Get on there give, and just say this. Hey, I, 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 want to invite, I want to invite you to join me for the community picnic at Kingwood Church on September 7th, or jo- however you want to word it. Join me, and then put hashtag Kingwood. Hashtag, not hash brown, hashtag Kingwood, all right? Hashtag Kingwood. Hey, join, join me for the community picnic at Kingwood Church, September 7th. There you go. All right. In seconds, we just invited about 100,000 people. Something like that, right? See, see, it's not really... Now, if you will follow that up with an email or a text or a phone call or a just ran into you at Dollar General and had you on my mind lately, if you'll follow that up, with a, hey, I, you, I, you've been on my heart lately, and I just, we're going to have a big picnic at our church. Love, love to have you come that day. It's going to be a fantastic day. So love for, you to, love for you to be involved with that. Now today, we're going to wrap this series up, and we're talking about community at the table. We're talking about uh, the relationships that Jesus invites us to uh, inside, I guess you'd say inside his family. So when Jesus invites us to himself in relationship, he doesn't just invite us vertically to a relationship with him. Any invitation Jesus has to himself is also at the same time a horizontal invitation to have a relationship with his people and with his family. 
And so Jesus summarized it all like this. He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, uh, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this invitation into the kingdom of God is not just vertical, it's also horizontal. God's kingdom, the reason we use this idea of a table is because it says relationship. The kingdom of God is a relational kingdom. It's not a mechanical kingdom. It's a relational kingdom. So when God invites you into a relationship with himself, when he invites you into the kingdom, he's inviting you to have a relationship with him. That's incredible news that the God of the universe is not inviting you into a contract. He's inviting you into a relationship. But at the same time, he also invites you into a relationship with his people and with his family. By the way, he's perfect and, and, the, and the family's not. But nevertheless, he calls us into that relationship. I can remember early in my uh, walk with Christ, when I was about 15, I accepted Christ, and uh, my relationship started to change dramatically. Not on purpose. I didn't know they were supposed to. I didn't know nobody told me any of that. But uh, I had a friend, and I had several friends in my neighborhood that I had had all my life. There was a, uh, my mom moved in the house she lives in a week after my first birthday. Uh, my buddy, lifelong buddy, six months later, moved into his house, and we grew up in diapers together and shared so much of life. But he was never a believer, and at 15, I became a believer. And that relationship started to change, not because anybody told me it should, not because I just began to pursue different things. And what I didn't know, now that I look back, I realize in, a, in just a couple of years, in just a few years, all the relationships of my life radically changed. And, and as I look back, now I know what it was. It was the invitation of Jesus not only into a personal relationship with him, but a relationship with his people in his kingdom. And so there, there are, that's the family of God. Now, so I'm calling it community, Christian community. That word seems so uh, amalgamous. It seems so uh, may, maybe nebulous to us. Because it seems to mean nothing. And I, and I think part of the reason for that is, culturally speaking, it's hard to define because there was a point in our culture that we had community but weren't as aware that we had it. Now we don't have it and aren't aware that we don't have it. And, and so it, it, it seems uh, squishy or invisible. So what I really wanted to understand, though, is I understood the kingdom of God and, and the people of the kingdom of God what are the relationships like that Jesus had in mind when he walked earth? When he was here and he had to face imperfect people as we are and as we have to face, and he called 12 disciples into a group, and he, and he had to iron out you know, all the dilemmas and the dramas and the conflicts and the personality clashes and all of that. When he did all of that, what did he have in mind for those relationships to be like? What is Christian community? How do you know when you have it? Well, I looked to the Bible, and I looked into the New Testament, and I began to search, what does the Bible, what information does the Bible give us to understand how Christian relationships and our invitation into this circle looks like? And as I looked at it, I found maybe you've heard the one another. So there's, it's phrased like this oftentimes. Uh, serve one another, love one another, encourage one another. There's a lot of times the Bible says one another, about 55 times that I found in the New Testament. And, and so what I did is I took those, 
those instructions about how we're to relate to one another as Christians, what the community of Christianity is supposed to look like. And I boiled that down into uh, maybe about eight what I'll call characteristics. What are the traits? What are the, what are the ingredients of this family of God? How do we know when we're experiencing the kind of relationships that God calls us to experience? What, is he, what has he called us to? Now, uh, none of it will ever be perfect. And that's what I want to say right at the beginning. I'm giving you the vision. I'm giving you the dream. I'm giving you the ideal. I'm giving you the big picture. I'm giving you heaven. And, and, and I, I, half the time when we're talking this morning, you're going to be tempted to say, man, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time. Man, that's great, but you don't understand my life, and I have this pressure, and I have that. And, man, I would love to do that. And when the kids leave home, and we're, you know, I'll, I'll get to that. But what I want to say to you is we're never going to fulfill the perfect. But we've got to understand what the ingredients are, what the characteristics are, so that we know what Jesus has called us to. Just like you and I are never going to have a perfect relationship with God. But we have to know what that looks like so we know what he's called us to. Now, at the end this morning, I'm going to boil that down and give you a few ways to think about what you can do. So let, let's talk about that later. If you're taking, you have something to take notes with, um, let me give you these eight characteristics. Here's the first one. And I'm going to start with the most important one that I found. Love. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I've also heard it worded like this in those 55 topics. Accept one another, greet one another, give tolerance to one another, be kind to one another. Francis Schaeffer said, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. So in other words, people who don't follow Jesus, people who aren't Christians, look at the church and say, I'm going to decide whether or not your message is true based on the fact that did it make you a more loving person or not. And if it makes you more loving, then maybe your message is right. If you're just still mean, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't care about anybody but yourself, if you don't care about people, if you don't value people, then, then maybe... And that sounds so much like what Jesus said, doesn't it? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. How will they know? That you love each other. So every time the church has a reputation of conflict or division or, or, or gossip, it repels people like a bad smell. But when the church has a reputation where there's a community of Christian love, it draws people. Now, what I want to give you with each one of these characteristics is something that the characteristic teaches us. So here, here's how I want you to think about it. We don't learn something when we know it. We learn something when we do it. So in other words, I can't say that I know how to rebuild an engine in a car because I read a book about it and I go, I know, I understand. I read that. I understand. So much, so much of our Christianity in America is top-heavy because it's knowledge-based. I know that. I understand that. Boy, that's a great way for that to work. We can debate. We can think. We can, I, I, you know, I've been in church all my life. I know how it works. I got this. I got that. I got the other. It's not when we know something that we learn it. It's when that we practice it. It's when it becomes part of us. 
It's when we act on it. It's when we do it. So here's what I want you to see. When you live in Christian community, when you experience Christian community, it teaches you things. You learn them by experience. So what does the love, what does love teach us? It teaches us grace. What, 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 uh, what love is, what grace is, is love applied. So uh, a few years ago, I'm standing at prayer time, and a man comes for prayer. And he says to me, man, you could just see on his face, anguish, stress, uh, frustration, weariness, worry, fear. He's just wound up tight. And I say, oh, I'm just praying. Jesus, help me. What, what would I say? How do I minister? Uh, how can I pray for you? He's in this gigantic um, custody battle with his ex-wife. And it's gone on a long time. And he's the dad, so most of the time the mom wins, whether she ought to or not is a whole different story, but that's the way it is, and this guy's a good guy, he's doing what he can do, and you could see he's just overwhelmed with a big old guy, just overwhelmed with it's just weighing heavy on him, and I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, you have to help me, help me to know what to say, help me to know what to do, how do I minister, and, and just as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart and said, tell him this, and I looked at him and I said, I just think God wants you to know something, you are not a failure. You have not failed, and you are not a failure. And he literally broke like a five-year-old child and cried and wrapped himself around me, and his body shook. He cried so hard. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. That's something he couldn't come to on his own. At least in that case for that man, that was something he couldn't come to on his own. But when he... But when he was given grace, when, when the love of God was at work, he began to learn and understand the grace of God. God hasn't forgotten me. God hasn't given up on me. God hasn't rejected me. He still loves me and he wants to help me and, and all of that. So love teaches us about grace. Here's the second one. Peace. Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Some places say, forgive one another, don't judge one another. Let me just give you a quick thought on how do you know how much love there is in a relationship? Let me give you a love gauge. How do you know how much love... Now, I'm not going back to the other one. This is about peace. How do you know how much love there is in a relationship? To the degree of disagreement you can have and stay in relationship, that's how much love is there. When the conflict is stronger than the love, there will be division and no peace. When the love is stronger than the conflict, you'll work through the conflict and there'll be peace. Is that right? Isn't that right? And so, and so there's so much inside in the Christian community, we work things out. It's not because we're fake, it's not because we're phony, it's not because we avoid the real issues, it's not because we live on a shallow surface level. The call to Jesus is a call to Christian community. The call to Christian community is to stay in there and work it out. And that's hard. And you know what? In the end, we change oftentimes more than the other person. And by the way, I'm kind of thinking that might be part of God's plan. 
And we probably need more change than we think we do. And when we stay in there and work through the conflict and work through the frustration and we share emotions and we're honest about that and we do it in a loving way, we do it in a gentle way, we do it in a God-honoring way, we work through... I guarantee you the level of love in a relationship will, will, uh, will only carry you... Uh, the conflict will only be resolved down to the level of love. So some people you can only have a very surface disagreement with and they're done with you. Right, which, by the way, that's how our society functions. We got disposable cell phones. We got disposable whatever. Everything's disposable. We throw it away and go get another one. That's why, that's why we keep operating up here on the surface. But to get down deep in the roots of Christianity, you have to be able to experience with somebody, not everybody. I'm not telling you go on Jerry Springer and work it out. I'm telling you, you got to be able to experience with somebody conflict resolution. We disagree with each other. Now what are we going to do? Does that mean we throw each other away? What does it mean? It means we press on, watch this, to a deeper love. And that love holds us together and we actually learn what love is. So what do we learn from peace? We learn unity. How do you learn to have unity if you don't work through conflict? All right, here's the third one. Trust. James 5, 16. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, some places in Scripture it says it like this. Don't lie. Don't speak against. Be devoted to. My, my, I was thinking about confidentiality. How important confidentiality is. And, you know, we, you have those people in life you can tell something to, and as soon as the door shuts, they're gone. They, they done posted it on Facebook. They done told everybody. Then you, then you got another kind of confidentiality breach that I don't think we usually think about. You tell somebody, and then they don't tell anybody for about two or three years, and then they say, well, enough time's gone by now. It's okay to tell everybody. It's still not okay to tell everybody. Then you got those few people that will take it to their grave. Never, 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 never. When somebody says something like that to me, I oftentimes like to say, it is not my story to tell, it's yours. And so that's none of my business. And, and, and watch what happens. That develops trust. It built in Christian community. We have to have trust. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. Who in your life do you trust with your sin? Because nobody's sinless, right? Nobody's perfect in here. Who in your life do you... So you blew it. You blew it. You went and did something you shouldn't have done. You blew it. You violated something. You crossed some boundary. You crossed some line. You, you did something that was wrong or something maybe you should have done that you didn't. Whatever. Who do you tell that to? Because uh, James says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Who do you trust with your sin? I mean, who, who are you dialing? Man, I blew it big. You can't wait to hear this. <laughs> you know, help me. <laughs> do something. Who, who, do you, who do you trust with your sin? Who do you trust with your doubt? Who do you trust with your fear? Who do you trust with your struggles? Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we have a discipleship group that meets on, uh, on uh, Wednesday nights. And uh, when we were just starting up uh, for the fall, somebody in our group shared some, some deep things from their own life. And as, they, and as they were just moved by that to tears, 
the person said, I was, I, you almost sounds like an afterthought, you know what I mean? Sometimes when you share and you start to cry, you, you pour your heart out, sometimes you almost feel the pressure to apologize. You ever feel that? I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't trying to ruin the thing here, I, you know. But the, the person said something that stuck in my heart, and I, it's, just, it's just stayed with me day after day after day. This person said, I, I'm sorry uh, that I shared that. I, I, don't, I don't have anyone to share this with. And I thought, stop right there. Stop right there. Yes, you do. And they're in this room. And they're right here. The door shut. It's us 12 or 13. You share it here. We love you. We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. What you say doesn't go outside that door. We love you. I mean, I just told it, but I didn't tell you who it was, right? (laughs) You share it here, and we will walk with you. We will pray with you. We will love you. Don't worry. And I just that, that, that thought echoed in my brain. How many people in their life, you have no one to process this with? Well, it's going to happen here. Then do it right here because this is what this is about now. How did that happen? Let me tell you how that happened. We had met for 13 times once a week for an hour, hour and a half. We had fellowshiped together. We had prayed together. We had served together. We had served communion together. We had been at prayer and it soaked together. We had ministered together. We had fellowship times together. We had a picnic together. We walked together. So on about the, on about the 24th meeting, <laughs> I, I, I guess enough trust was there that now we can open. So the question I have is, who do you trust like that? Where is that for you? Trust teaches us authenticity. It teaches us that we can open up and let, the, let the, what's inside out. And that we're okay, we're safe. That's what the Christian community is about. Here's the fourth one, service. John 13, 14. Now that I, now this is Jesus talking, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm leaving. He's at the table. He said, I'm leaving. Uh, but before I leave, I want to show you something. I'll take the towel. I'll take the water. I'll take the bowl. I'll walk around and wash everybody. And back then, they did that because they walked everywhere. They went and their feet were dirty all the time. So he went around and washed everybody's feet. But then he said something very important. He said, look, but when I, I'm, I'll do it now. I'll do it while I'm here. I'm not too good to do it. I'll do it. But when I leave... I want you to wash each other's feet. This is how I want you to act when I'm gone. I want you to serve. So I'm just calling this service. I want you to serve each other. I want you to serve one another. I want, I want you. So Christian community is a, is a relationship combination where everybody serves. Where everybody's serving. I don't know where on earth, other than maybe living in a consumeristic society, it ever dawned on any Christian anywhere that our role was to receive. Our role is to receive. Every Christian's role is to receive. But every Christian's role is to also serve. We don't just receive, only we give. We give back, we serve, we share in the workload, we share in the task, we share in the chore, we share in the mission. From Jesus himself. I remember a few years ago, I was down at the football field. We had a work day to clean the field up. And the trees that were just lining that path right there, you'll pass if you're going down the hill on your way out today. They were kind of overgrown. So I was over there just chopping them, you know, helping out. And, and this lady who I, maybe I'd only met one time, she knew who I was. I'd met her once. She came up to me and she said, hey, I want to tell you something. She's over there working. 
And she said, I, man, I, I, you, you really impressed me. And I said, I'm not very good at this. I don't know, like bonsai tree, you know, I'm not really doing much here. What do you mean? I don't know what that means. She said, well, I'm just impressed because you're out here doing this kind of work and, and pastor a church like this, you could, you could get the idea that like you're the guy and you're too good to do work like that. And she said, it just means a lot to me and I want you to know that, that, that you're out here doing this. And I said, why, why, does that, why, why does that matter to you? And she said, well, because I believe, watch this, I believe that hard work makes you humble. And I said, who, who, did, who taught you that? Where did you learn that? She said, my dad, he was a pastor. <laughs> she said, but I believe hard work makes you humble. So now watch this. What does service teach us? Humility. If you're not serving, you're not growing in humility. If you're not growing in humility, there's a, there's a quick ceiling you're going to run into on how far in Jesus' kingdom you can grow. Serving creates humility. It teaches us humility. So community, Christian community, is where everybody in the group serves. All right, here's the fifth one. Shared grief. Everybody experiences loss at some point in their life. From birth to grave, nobody gets through life without losing something. Everybody has loss of some kind. Some have more than others. Jesus even said, in this world you'll have trouble. Now that's not a promise we claim. Nevertheless, it's, it's a fact. So there's a place in pain where you don't need to be fixed and you don't need a word and you don't need a vision and you don't need somebody you know, trying to pep you up. What you need is someone to hurt with you. Someone who just says, I'm sorry, I hate that it's this way. And, and what, what you need in a time of severe loss is you need to, to strength to be able to accept that loss and face it so that you can emotionally heal and recover. I can remember uh, the first funeral I ever did and spoke at as a pastor. And man, uh, it just makes me think. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure how this happened. The, the third funeral that I ever attended in my life, I spoke at. And so I was like nervous as a cat. I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And fortunately, a pastor buddy came and helped me. He kind of told me what order to do things in and where to stand and when to sit down and all that stuff. And then it dawned on me as I stood up to speak to that family that day who had lost a loved one and I was looking at them. It dawned on me that day, I, I don't know how to help them. I don't know what to do to help them. I looked at their faces and their faces were filled with pain and I could see that they were suffering and I thought, I don't know how. It was such a bad, I mean, that, that family was hurting so bad, I wanted to fix it. I wanted to say something, to do something, to fix it. And a few funerals later, it finally dawned on me, I'm not actually here to fix this. I can't fix this. What I'm here to do is grieve with this family. I'm here to, I'm here to grieve with them. And it's still a very mysterious thing to me. It's a very mysterious thing that I've watched again and again. People who are grieving, that have a, a Christian community gathered around them, they listen, they hug, they pray, they check on them, they call them, they bring them more casseroles than any human could possibly eat in a week. You know, they, they just pour love out on them, and they just sort of insulate them from the shock to help that, that is absorbed in a time of trouble. I'm amazed at the darkest times of my life when people have come into my life and just been there. And, and, and usually the ones that help me the most are the ones that say, 
To be honest with you, I don't know what to say. But I just wanted to come. I just wanted you to know I cared. And, 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 you, you, and what happens is, is you grieve. Somehow, you, somehow that person enters into your grief and share it. And then they go away, and it's the most mysterious thing. I say to myself, nothing changed. Nothing's gotten better. <laughs> the circumstances are the same. Nothing's been fixed except for one thing. I feel better. Now, I'm telling you, that is a unique function of the body of Jesus. That is one of, that is one of the deep ministries, the body of Christ, that you find in Christian community. I've heard people say dozens and dozens of times in my life, I, at a time of a, a dark need, I simply don't know how people who don't have a church family make it through times like these. And after pastoring a, while, a little while, I can tell you the answer to that question, not very well. Now, uh, we have a ministry that meets in our church called Grief Share on Tuesday nights. Uh, I don't know, maybe 80 or 100 people now have gone through that ministry and received uh, uh, shared grief. That's what Christian community is. Romans 12, 15 says, mourn with those who mourn. What does, what does shared grief teach us? It teaches us compassion. When you look in somebody else's eyes and you begin to drink in their loss, when you begin to understand what they feel, what they mourn, what they grieve, what they lose, how they feel, how this would impact you if it was you, when you start to drink that into your soul, it creates compassion for people and understanding. You begin to understand it. You begin to understand loss, and you begin to become compassionate. Now, let's take the exact opposite, the sixth one, celebration. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, I've got a question for you. You just received the greatest news of your life. Who you go tell? Who are you going to call? Who are the people in your life that you say, this person's close enough to me that I want them to know? I mean, I know, we got your mom. I get it. Everybody got, if your mom's still with you, I get it. Everybody got mama. But after mama... Who are those people in your life that go, this is such good news. I got a, I got a raise. I got, I got this. I got, there's a new job. We're expecting another child. You know, there's going to there's be some good news in your life. I had a breakthrough with God. I've been praying about this for a year now. And man, this morning when I got up to pray, I had a breakthrough with God. Who, who do you tell that to? Who celebrates with you? Look, otherwise, you're like the guy who, who skipped work to go golf. You made a hole in one. You can't tell anybody because you skipped work to do it. Right? There's nobody to share the... And too many Americans are like that. There's nobody to share the celebration with, the good news with. Uh, a couple of years ago in one of our devotionals we did during our fast, Pastor Larry wrote something I, I've, I've never forgotten in one of his devotion entries. He said, when you share a tragedy with people who love you, it cuts the burden in half. When people love you, who love you rejoice with you, it doubles the blessing. Doesn't it? Who is it in your life that you can go tell that'll be just as glad up for it as you are? Well, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? I mean, you can tell everybody. Some of them will be jealous. Some of them will be mad. Some of them could care less. But who is it in your life? Who in Jesus' family do you have a relationship enough? You tell that news and they say, yay! And it's as good as if it happened to them. Celebration. You know what celebration teaches us? It teaches us joy! God's family is a family of joy. And when we celebrate things together that are good, we remember it. 
We remember this is a family of joy who's going to heaven, who's going to be set free from everything that limits us one day, and it reminds us we're a people of joy. But if you don't ever celebrate, maybe you don't remember that. Here's the seventh one. Challenge. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we get stuck. Uh, when, we're, when we're with other believers, though, those other believers challenge us. Sometimes our hunger starts to shrink in our own walk with God. But, but we get challenged inside true Christian community. Look, I, I've been with people and I've heard them pray. And I say, man, man, the, the way that they talked with God just it just challenges me. I want to pray like that. Or people, their passion, or their, maybe the way they've overcome a challenge, the way they've persevered, their own hunger, their own authenticity, their own transparency, their own spiritual hunger. And I thought, ooh, man, you ever have anybody like that in your life? You just go, man, they challenge me. I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of hunger. Uh, a few months ago, I was talking to a pastor, and I talked to him a couple years ago, and man, he was in a really bad spot. He just was in a bad spot in his life, in a bad spot in ministry. He was just a a rough, rough, rough time. And uh, something happened as this year started, in 2014, in January. He just had a, 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 he was praying, talking to God. He just had an encounter with God. And, And he was asking the Lord, what do I need to do? And the Lord gave him two specific things to do. And he started to do that in his life. And, and I, I caught up with him about five months after that. And he said, and he was telling me about this, he's telling me about that, and he's telling me what he was doing and how this was changing and what was happening in their church and this and that and other. And, I, and I, I said, man, he was not the person I had remembered a couple years ago. I said, what happened? And he told me. And I said, i got to be honest with you, man. You're inspiring me. You're, you're, you're challenging me. And isn't it that way when you have people up close in your life, when you get close enough to some, there'll be someone inside there that will challenge you, that will spur you on. Hebrews 12, 24 says it like this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now listen to this. Here's the dilemma that we have in the times we live in. The problem we sometimes have in the church is we try to have challenge without relationship. So we say, I'm just going to preach it into you. I'm going to pound it and preach it and hammer it and nail it, and I'm going to challenge, 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 challenge until you get it. And we try to have challenge with no relationship. I'm just telling you, for someone to personally, personally challenge you, for someone to get up in your grill and say, hey, I love you, but I'm concerned about this. Can I pray with you about something? I see this. I saw that. For someone to get up in and challenge you, they've got to know you, right? They've got, you will accept a challenge from a person who knows you much better than one that doesn't. Because the truth is, how do I know when you need a challenge or maybe you don't need a challenge? Maybe you need somebody to grieve with you. And if you misapply that, you could, you could hurt somebody. But we accept a challenge from someone when we know someone loves us, when we have no doubt in our mind that someone loves us, we receive a challenge from that person a lot better than we do from anybody else. Right? So how does that Christian community... Now, outside the church, we have the opposite thing happening right now. 
because relationships are falling apart everywhere outside the church, the society's trying to rebuild relationships with no challenge. So we have Starbucks, and we have coffee houses, and we have internet rooms. We have this and this and this, and just connect and get to know people and hang out with somebody and have fun. And, you know, it's a sun-kissed summer, and go to the beach and do the thing. And we're trying to have relationships with no challenge. That's not going to do anything. It's not going to provide. But when you put challenge together in the context of relationship, you have dynamite. You have an explosion. You have a powerful connection. Okay, so what does challenge teach us? Challenge teaches us passion. When I get around someone in, closely in my life that challenges me, man, it spurs me on. I don't want to just mail it in. I don't want to check the box. I don't want to show up and yawn. I don't want to just do church on Sunday, and, and I hadn't thought about God in seven days now. Man, I don't want to just go on autopilot. I want in. I want as deep in as I can get. What does that come from? When iron sharpens iron, when we get up close and, and, and rub each other like that, when we get up and spark, man, it creates friction. And, man, that creates a challenge. you got to have challenge. The Christian community doesn't exist without it. Here's the last one. So the question is, who challenges you? Number eight, encouragement. I'll ask the worship team to come. Encouragement. Everyone has days and seasons and heavy moments in life when we're just discouraged. Circumstances and bad news and even our own actions can cause discouragement. We all need to be encouraged sometimes. Sometimes we don't need to be challenged Sometimes we need to be encouraged. We need people who will speak life to us, who will remind us. Sometimes somebody will come and say, hey, do you remember when you were going through that and remember how God helped you there? And you think, man, I didn't even remember that. Wow, that's so encouraging to remember that. I'm glad you, I'm glad you pointed that out. And we just need words of faith and life and truth spoken to strengthen our inner man. My favorite verse in the entire Bible on encouragement is Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. I want you to listen to it this morning. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it. Watch over it. Pay attention. How, how, how do you do that? How do I see to it? that I don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Look at verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as, as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin makes your heart hard. And you're most likely to sin when you're discouraged. And the only people in this room that don't need discouragement or, or that don't need encouragement are the dishonest ones. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs a word of faith or encouragement or a kind word or a thoughtful word or an arm around your, can I just pray with you for a minute? Or I was thinking about you, but on my heart today, and I just want to shoot this text to you and say, man, I, I love you, and I'm, I'm with you. I know you're going through a lot, but I'm standing with you today. Everybody needs encouragement. But look what this verse says. The Bible actually gives us the antidote to backsliding what is it encouragement encouragement 
wonder how many people wouldn't have been tricked by sin if somebody just encouraged them. Now, I'm not saying it's all everybody else. we got to do our part. But, but this is a part. <laughs> this is the Christian community. Sometimes people think, listen to this, that going ahead and having maybe that one-night stand or, or, or drown it out in alcohol or, or drug abuse or, or, or uh, separating or, or their hearts grown cold or pornography, they, they think, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And the times you're most tempted to do any of those things is when you're discouraged. Maybe you think, I'll just take on that next relationship. I'll, sometimes we become discouraged by our own sin. We sin, and then after we sin, we feel so bad. We feel so guilty. We feel so frustrated that what do we say? We begin to be tricked by sin and say, sin says to us, that's the right way. Keep doing that. And what we need in that moment so many times is we need encouragement and our heart grows cold and our faith weakens and we start adopting the world's ways of coping with life. And it's sad to watch and it happens oftentimes because there's no encouragement. I can encourage you at a distance. I can just like like grenades. I can pop one, throw it out there at you. But who, who knows you well enough to encourage you in your circumstances? Christian community and everybody needs it I I was captured by a story I think that happened in the year 2000 I've never forgot it I actually looked it up yesterday I wondered if it was still out there and I found the newspaper article there was a 60 year old lady in Pennsylvania who was going into the grocery store on her way in she got mugged a guy guy was trying to take her purse and, and they wrestled it out for a minute she was able to get away she went into the store, she shopped, she got her stuff, she checked out, she got her things, and she walked home. And when she got home, she started loading the groceries in, and her adult daughter who lived with her looked at her and said, Mom, are you okay? She said, uh, you know, she told her what happened. I mean, I got robbed. I mean, the guy tried to take everything, but uh, yeah, I'm okay. She said, no, you're not. Listen, there was a knife sticking in that woman's back. A knife. This is a true story. A knife Sticking a handle was sticking out of her back. She thought they scuffled and he hit her. He actually stabbed her and the knife stuck and stayed in. And she went into the grocery store and shopped, checked out, went home, and and started. They actually found the security camera footage from the grocery store, and this woman's walking up and down the aisles, shopping, picking stuff out, just thinking that she's just bruised when she actually has a knife in her back. So what I was wondering is, how many people did she pass? How about the clerk that checked her out? Nobody? How many people did she pass on them? Nobody saw the knife handle sticking out of her back? Man, and it just was such a vivid picture to me of the average Christian who's suffering in discouragement. Discouragement is like a knife jabbed down into your system and the life of God is leaking out of you. And when somebody is encouraged, man, it's like that knife is taken out. The wound is dressed. You're healed. You're raised up. You know what encouragement teaches us? It teaches us strength. It teaches us we can be strong. Christian community. Now, as we wrap up this morning, you may say, wow. <laughs> okay. I would love all of that. Where would I find that? Well, 
the easy answer is heaven. <laughs> but let me give you a quick thought on something you can do. Don't say, I'm not adding to your schedule. I'm not giving you another to-do list thing. Don't say, I'll get to that later. I'm saying to you, you won't get to it later. I'm just going to give you one word of application. Start. Start. Start what? Start where? Anywhere. Start. Nobody's got this down. Nobody's got this perfect. It's messy. It's not, you know, it's not marketable. It is the invitation of Jesus for you and I to come into his family and to grow deep. And we're not going to grow deep without it. So here's what I want to say. September 7th is our picnic, but it's also the day that our life groups start launch in the fall. And so uh, Tuesday, uh, we're going to send you an email with our new life group guide and all the life, group, all the life groups that are going to happen for the fall from September to late November. All the life groups we got are going to be in that guide. We got about five or six brand new ones. Here's what I'd say. Start there. Am I going to show up the first day and I'm going to have authenticity and I'm gonna, everybody's going to be pouring their guts out and you know, am I going to have all that? No. You know why? It takes time. Why do we talk about connections? Why is our church working on connections so hard? Our church has no ability to, to create community. All we can create is opportunities. And that's what connections are. They're opportunities. And so we have First Step coming. If you're brand new today to Kingwood, join us at First Step. That's a place to start. That's a place to start. Life groups. We have life groups. The life group guide will be emailed to you on Tuesday. If you don't get the email, maybe we don't have your address, call the church office and just say, hey, I'd, I'd like to have that email. Can you put my email address down? Maybe you're in a life group, but your life group's a big life group, and you don't have those kind of relationships happening in there because it's too big. Well, what I would say is, Look around your life group and find two or three other families that you can connect to and meet offline. Spend some time together. Go out to lunch. It's got to start somewhere. Start praying together. You know, whatever. Look, here's another great way you can start. Find somebody, invite somebody into your life who you say, hey, why don't, from now till Christmas, why don't we just touch base once a week? Text, email, phone call, run into each other, whatever we're going to do. Let's touch base once a week and let's just ask, what insight did you gain from your relationship with Jesus this week? What did you read? What did you hear? What's your prayer? Simple thing. How'd your devotions go this week? What insight did you gain? Start. It's not going to land on you. It's not going to find you. It's not going to hunt you. You just have to start. You don't have to start deep. Start where you are. And it will grow deep. You know why? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that's the smallest of all seeds. And when it grows, it becomes this gigantic plant. But you have to start where you are. So would you stand with me this morning and as we as we wrap up today? Today has just been raw, sort of raw, straight teaching. And this is our setup for our picnic that you're going to post a selfie with, right? <laughs> Hey, today as we pray, here's what I want to do. Think about all of the joy and the warmth and the love and the peace and the unity and the healing and the 
that we have in the family of Jesus. And now think about all the other people in Shelby County who don't have that. And I just want you to do this. We're going to pray for one minute. If you, I just want you to open your hands like this. And I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want to ask you to pray with me. And I, I want you to invite Jesus to use you to touch somebody in this county. To invite somebody to our picnic. To invite somebody to faith. To invite somebody to relationship with Him. Lord, we yield ourselves this morning to You. And I pray for those people, 170,000 people in this county, who were not in a worship service today. The ones who may not know You, don't have any connection with Your family, never been forgiven of their sins, don't know what freedom and joy and forgiveness and relationship with You is like. God, I pray that you would move them close to you. Lord, I pray that you would invite them. I pray that you would use me to do it. Lord, as we go this morning, I pray we would be a community of Christians that are on mission together. Serving and loving and praying. God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call someone's name in prayer right now. Whoever you know that doesn't know Christ. Whoever you know that's close to you but, but far away from God. I want you to take a minute and call their name in prayer. God bless you. Great to have you here today. Hope I see you on Facebook later today.